Welcome to Timeless Files, a fan podcast for the time-travelling TV show Timeless. This is the first full-length podcast. We're going to be looking at the pilot episode of the series, Series 1, Episode 1, and it's called Pilot. I'm your host, Chris Butler. I think this first episode is really strong. It's a lot of fun. Um, I've been giving a lot of thought to how best to approach talking about these episodes, and because you know, I'm a story person. I think I do want to start at the beginning of each episode, look at how it starts, how the story unfolds, um, and how it ends. That's not to say I'm going to slavishly describe every scene and every line of dialogue in the show. Um, but pretty much I'm going to start at the beginning of each episode and look at how the story unfolds. Before we get going, I'd like to thank everyone who's followed me on Twitter or listened to the episode zero I put out to introduce this podcast. Since then, filming of series two of Timeless has begun. So there's been lots of excitement online as a result with photos of the first table reading for the new series, videos from Malcolm Barrett, lots going on on Twitter and Instagram with backstage photos from Abigail Spencer and Matt Lanter and others. So it's been great and there are also a lot of tweets showing that people are still discovering the show all the time, especially now it's on Netflix across Europe. So I think now is a great time to go right back to the start. Okay, so let's get on with it. Should be a lot of fun. Let's have a look at the pilot episode. Right, so first scene of the first episode, uh, we see the Hindenburg airship coming into land. We'll get the caption May 6, 1937. It's a spectacular kind of opening scene. A female reporter is quite close to where the airship is coming into land. Cuts to a interior shot of the airship where one of the crew experiences a kind of static electricity shock and pretty much immediately the Hindenburg bursts into flames. Back on the ground we get the famous Herbert Morrison radio commentary lines Oh the humanity. The airship continues to erupt in flames. Very quickly it's plummeting to the ground and unfortunately the female reporter that we've just been introduced to is killed in the flames. Now already this is interesting for two reasons in terms of the writing of the show. The first is I think it was interesting that they started not with any of the regular cast but with the time location for this episode. I think it makes sense because it's a very spectacular scene that uh, they're obviously hoping would engage the viewers. And the second scene that we'll go to next, we get the introduction of Lucy Preston. But anyway, sticking with this, uh, the other interesting thing is that the reporter who's killed in the flames, she's a completely fictional character who did not exist in real life. No reporter was killed in the flames as the airship crashed to earth. 
So it's notable that the show has decided where it stands on is it a historical documentary or is it a fantasy genre show? And it is most definitely trying to tell entertaining stories. And yes, it's inspired by factual events, but it's not a slave to the factual events. I suppose there's a, an argument that the history that they are working with is not necessarily ours. Certainly as the episode progresses and the series progresses, uh, we see time changing. So does it really matter if the starting point, the very first scene in the series, is authentically, absolutely our history? I don't think that's um, vital. I think any novel or TV show, it creates its own world. But the lines are a little bit blurred with something like Timeless, which on the face of it is, on some level, educating people about real history um, to then include elements that are not factually correct, but are more elements of telling a vivid story. So I think that's interesting to note right from the outset. Right, so next we get introduced to some of the regular characters, starting with historian Lucy Preston. She is teaching a class, but is informed afterwards that she's not getting the tenure that she's expecting. Not yet, anyway. So she arrives home in a huff about that. We see that her mother is very ill in bed. Her sister, Amy, is there. They drink a couple of beers together. Her sister tells her that she's a great professor and she's not being given the respect that she deserves and maybe she should give it up and do something else, but... Lucy says it, you know, it was her mother's legacy and it's what she's worked for all of her life. <laughs> and she has a little bit of a dig at her sister saying, what, are we all going to live off your podcast if I give up my job? Um, which is scandalous kind of comment to make about podcasters. Anyway, so that's Lucy. The next scene we shift to Mason Industries and our first glimpse of Rufus Carlin. Rufus is in some kind of facility. His boss, Anthony, tells him it's his turn to get food for everyone, and why doesn't he take his colleague Gia with him, since he's clearly pining for her, pining to spend more time with her. That's actually going to become quite an important story point as the series progresses. In any case, while this is going on, we also see a van arriving outside filled with people who look like they're up to no good, including Garcia Flynn, played by Goran Viznich. Uh, he has a book which is full of handwritten notes, and the importance of that book is going to become apparent later on. These men storm the building. Rufus takes cover with Gia, but 
Flynn comes in, appears to abduct Anthony, pushes him into some kind of sphere that's within the facility. So Flynn, Anthony and a third man go inside and this thing, which we'll later discover is the time machine, then vanishes with a rush of air around the facility. Police come in, who've obviously been called because of the attack on the building, and ask, well, where are these men that came in? And Rufus is not able or not willing to say. Then we cut back to Lucy, uh, who's still looking after her mother, and her doorbell rings. It's a man from Homeland Security saying that they need her help, and will she please come with him? So, thoroughly baffled, but she agrees to do so. And then she arrives at the facility and is put into a waiting room with another man. She asks him, do you know why we're here? And he says that he doesn't. He calls her ma'am, which annoys her. She tells him not to do that. And then after a few moments, um, a woman comes in who introduces herself as Denise Christopher. And she explains that she's with Homeland Security. She speaks to the other man, whose name is Wyatt Logan, who is a Special Forces soldier. And then another man comes in, who everyone else seems to be slightly in awe of. His name is Connor Mason, and he is the uh, founder of Mason Industries. So this is a lot of names of characters and events that are all happening very quickly. Um, the credits haven't even finished appearing as all of these characters have been introduced and we've actually got all the key players at this point so I think it's incredibly well done how they managed to get everybody in so quickly in the opening minutes of the episode Speaking of the credits, uh, we should pause and talk about creative people behind the show. Um, so it's created by Eric Kripke and Sean Ryan, both very established from other TV shows at this point. Um, Kripke created Supernatural, Ryan created The Shield, and also worked on Angel and other things back in the day. And the opening episode and, and the second episode are directed by Neil Marshall, who has impressive background in directing films and other TV shows, including Game of Thrones. And certainly he brings a real visual style to Timeless, you know, establishing a lot of the things that are then built upon in later episodes. <laughs> So the story is moving along. Uh, the next thing we get is Connor Mason, played by Patterson Joseph, who's very well known as an actor in, in the UK, 
from other TV shows. He comes in and the first thing he does is give a rather glib explanation of why time travel is possible or how it's possible. Not very convincing to be honest. But anyway, Agent Christopher tells Lucy and the others that there's room for three people in another time ship, a prototype of the time machine, which is the only other one that they have at the moment that's still working or still capable of uh, travelling in time. And Lucy realises that they're actually talking about her going back in time as an expert on the history and she's <laughs> no way am I going but as she comes to understand the consequences that they could all be facing if Flynn is successful in changing history she eventually and also because um, there's a part of her that really wants to go back in time and experience that history that she loves firsthand. Uh, she eventually agrees to go. Meanwhile, Mason and Rufus are having a conversation in which Mason is convincing Rufus that he needs to go as being a pilot of the prototype time machine, which is called the lifeboat. Mason says, we both know why it has to be you. Now that comment is not really explained. Is it just that Rufus is the only one that knows how to pilot the ship? Or is there something more behind the conversation? In any case, so Rufus is going, Lucy's going, and Wyatt, uh, the soldier, is also going because those are his orders and he wouldn't... Yeah, he's sceptical at first that there is such a thing as time travel thinking it might be some kind of psychological test for him. But um, in any case, he agrees to go as well. So the three of them get into the lifeboat. Um, it's clearly a much clunkier version of the time ship compared with the one that Flynn stole, which is called the mothership. And they buckle up for a bumpy ride and they travel back to 1937. So we're back before the Hindenburg disaster again. We get some good sense of wonder shots of Lucy enchanted by being back in 1937. Wyatt quite reasonably asks, why do we have to come all the way back here? Couldn't we just go back to a few moments before Flynn steals the time machine and stop him that way? But Rufus explains that you cannot travel back in time to a point where you already exist or you might meet yourself. And that's an important rule of the show, if you like, that they establish. So they have to go back before their own lifetimes and so 1937 is where they need to be. They have a clue as to where Flynn is going to be, which they got from one of his fellow terrorists who was shot. So they go to a bar intending to ask the bartender there whether he's seen Flynn at all. He doesn't know anything, but also in the bar is Kate Drummond, the journalist that we saw killed 
and the opening scene of the episode. Rufus, meanwhile, is feeling very uncomfortable in 1937 America. He earlier told Mason that he's black and there's no place in American history where he's going to be well treated. And this is a theme in this episode and throughout the series um, that the writers explore that aspect of American history. Lucy is full of admiration for Kate Drummond as a journalist and she and Wyatt talk to Kate and discover that Kate has seen Garcia Flynn um, and that he managed to get a job among the ground crew for the Zeppelin landing. So with that information, they head off in pursuit of Flynn. But when Lucy reveals that she knows that Drummond is going to be killed in the Zeppelin explosion, Wyatt is horrified and it, there ensues the first of many conversations around should they do nothing and let events transpire as they were always meant to, or should they intervene? Lucy's argument at this stage in the story is very much that history needs to unfold as it did, you know, as it's, as it's known to have done, and they shouldn't interfere, even if it means allowing people to be killed. When their time is up, it's up, is her attitude. But it becomes harder and harder as the series progresses for her to stick to that line. Um, and the other two, Wyatt and Rufus, are, are similarly conflicted about it, but less they're more on the side of interfering probably than she is at this point. So Lucy, Wyatt and Rufus, they don't really know what Flynn is trying to do. They've theorised that um, maybe he's trying to make the Hindenburg disaster worse somehow because um, not everybody on board was killed. Um, so maybe he wants to make sure that somebody else on the airship dies. But they're not really sure. So they arrive at the uh, landing site. They try to show Flynn's photograph to the authorities and convince them to help them search for Flynn. It's interesting that it's Lucy that comes up with the story of why they need to find him, claiming that Flynn has Spanish flu and has escaped from a hospital and they need to take him into custody before um, anybody potentially gets infected with the Spanish flu. So it kind of establishes that Lucy Preston is very quick-witted Anyway, while looking for Flynn, Wyatt sees Kate Drummond and tries to persuade her to come away from the 
Hindenburg landing site. Um, but she's furious with him, trying to do her job as a journalist. And at the moment when Wyatt thinks they're about to die, nothing happens. The Hindenburg does not burst into flames and Wyatt is left thoroughly baffled as to what's happened and why. Lucy, on the other hand, um, gets a glimpse of Flynn and tries to chase after him. She follows him into a hangar. There's a nice moment where we've already seen that Lucy is a bit of a klutz, really. She kind of staggered out of the time machine earlier. Here, where she's trying to maintain a low profile, she almost walks into a wing of a plane. Uh, it's quite a funny moment. Um, I think it wasn't completely scripted that way. It's something that just um, happened while they were filming and they decided to go with it. Um, after that moment, she's confronted by one of the other men working with Flynn. But before he can do her any harm, Wyatt arrives and shoots the man dead. Despite the fact that he's saved her, Lucy's not happy that Wyatt has brought a gun with him, which is a much more sophisticated gun than anything that exists in 1937. But he tells her that's what he's there to do, and if he gets a chance, he's going to kill Flynn as well. They're all trying to understand why the Hindenburg did not explode on landing. Rufus inspects um, what initially looks like a walkie-talkie that the dead man was carrying and they realise it's some kind of detonator um, and then it occurs to them what Flynn's real goal is which is to destroy the Hindenburg on its next flight when it will have a great many more important American figures on board including Rockefeller, Bradley and Sikorsky who all have big impacts on American history from the creation of the United Nations to the invention of the helicopter. But before they can figure out what their next move should be police arrive, discover the dead man and arrest them and they're pretty sure that um, it was Flynn that alerted the police to their location. So now they're holed up in jail cell and unable to do anything further to prevent Flynn from carrying out his plan. So I'm just going to pause for a second and think about where we are in story terms. We're fraction over halfway through the episode. Uh, the heroes know what the villain, Flynn, is trying to do, but to some extent he's outwitted them and they're locked in a jail cell unable to do anything to prevent him from doing what he's going to do. So in terms of story we should be really rooting for the good guys at this point who are really up against it and I think we are because the three characters have really started to gel with each other and the writers take the opportunity of this moment while the three of them are stuck in this jail cell 
two cells in fact. Um, Lucy and Wyatt are in one and Rufus is in another. That Lucy and Wyatt have a conversation in which he she's trying to understand why he made such efforts to protect Kate Drummond, the journalist. And he reveals that he was married and that his wife died some years previously and that he blames himself for it. And we don't know why he blames himself for it at this point. But what one of the things that this does is establish that Wyatt is probably not on some traditional um, story trajectory where he and Lucy would become romantically involved. At least not straight away. I mean, who knows what might happen in later episodes. So it's kind of refreshing that the relationship that's appearing here is more of friendship and determination to achieve their mission. And the fact that this scene comes at this point in the story, I think, really helps to cement the viewer's empathy with them. So we're rooting for them somehow to succeed in their mission. Wyatt says that he could get them out of the cell if only he had something like a hairpin from Lucy, but she doesn't have one. Um, the lock on the jail cell is not very good. Now, earlier in the episode, uh, Lucy had been complaining that the clothes that she'd been given to wear were not authentically correct for 1937, including mention of there being an underwire in her bra, which seemed a slightly odd thing to mention, but there's nothing in this script that's there for no reason. And Wyatt suddenly realises that there is a way for him to get this lock undone. So he whispers to Rufus that he needs a distraction. And Rufus launches into this tirade against the policeman who's keeping an eye on them, which I understand was slightly improvised by Malcolm Barrett, who plays Rufus Carlin. It wasn't really in the script. The tirade that he unleashes uh, <laughs> to the uh, jailer, uh, which is along the lines of um, there's going to be lots of great black men in America's future. And um, he hopes the, the jailer lives a long life so he can see it all happen. Predictably, the jailer does not take kindly to hearing this. He uh, gets a colleague to join him and it's clear that they're about to give Rufus quite a beating for his audacity in speaking this way. So while this is going on, uh, Lucy rather demurely takes her bra off and gives it to Wyatt while his back is turned. He undoes the lock, escapes. They manage to overcome the two jailers 
and lock them in the cell and they run off to chase after Flynn. So they manage to um, get to the airfield, get on board the Hindenburg and almost immediately they come across Kate Drummond who is on the ship and initially she's going to call for help because she thinks Wyatt is a crazy person but Lucy and Wyatt manage to convince Kate that it's Flynn that they should be more worried about and she tells them that she's seen Flynn on board so they go in the direction where Flynn was seen search like a galley area and discover a bomb that Flynn has left there which is counting down on a timer I think there's something about timers and countdowns that um, is almost irresistible for people writing time travel stories anyway Wyatt says that he will work on disarming the bomb but he needs Lucy and Rufus to get the ship down on the ground again so they go off and um, with a couple of kitchen knives they take control of the airship and order it to land Flynn sees that the airship is coming back to land and one of his men climbs up a rope back into the Hindenburg and before Wyatt can disarm the bomb Flynn's man attacks him so a fight ensues with um, Wyatt and Kate trying to get the better of Flynn's man so that Wyatt can get back to defusing the bomb so there's a pretty well staged fight they do overcome Flynn's man and disarm the bomb just in time but just when you think they've saved everyone the man gets off a shot with his gun and once again the Hindenburg goes up in flames fortunately because it's um, very close to the ground at this point most of the passengers and crew are able to escape the airship as it goes up in flames a uh, slight digression from me here it's not known precisely how and why the Hindenburg went up in flames there are a number of theories one of those theories which is very much put forward as fact early on in this episode of Timeless is that the reason why it went up in flames was it had been raining that day the ground was soaked when the Hindenburg let down its mooring ropes they connected the ship to the ground effectively electrically earthing the ship and then there was a static electrical spark in the airship somewhere and that combined with the electrical grounding resulted in the whole thing going up in flames after Flynn has intervened and is sabotaging the ship we're very much presented with the alternative or one of the alternative theories which is that the airship was sabotaged so it's kind of cool that they managed to get two of the leading theories as to what happened uh, get both of those into this episode mm-hmm.
As Lucy staggers away from the burning airship, she comes face to face with Flynn and he starts telling her things about herself that she doesn't understand how he could possibly know those things about her. He shows her the book with handwriting in it that we saw early on in the episode before Flynn attacked the uh, Mason Industries building and stole the time machine. And Lucy recognises her own handwriting in the book. But she says that she hasn't written this book. So Flynn tells her, yes, she hasn't written it yet, but she will do. He tells her that she's not destined to be a teacher. That when she gets back to Mason Industries, she needs to ask Homeland Security why she was chosen for this mission and she should ask them what Rittenhouse is. At this point Wyatt appears with his gun pointed at Flynn but Flynn manages to grab hold of Lucy and put her between the two of them. So Wyatt has to decide what to do in that split second, he decides to adjust his aim slightly to his left and fire, which means that he misses Lucy, but he only clips Flynn on the uh, shoulder um, or the upper arm. Um, Lucy gets free, but Flynn returns fire, and although he doesn't hit Wyatt, Kate Drummond is shot straight in the chest. Lucy runs to see if there's anything can be done for Kate while Wyatt initially chases after Flynn but uh, he's vanished from sight so Wyatt comes back to Lucy and Kate and tries to comfort Kate but unfortunately she dies. Again, looking at this in story terms, Kate died in the original timeline before anyone from present day arrived to interfere. And in a way, it's the kind of thing that Lucy has been supporting, that there should be minimal changes to the timeline. And therefore, maybe it's fate that Kate Drummond was meant to die during these events. So the next scene is back at Mason Industries as the lifeboat arrives back in present day. Lucy, Wyatt and Rufus discover that all the known history around the events of the Hindenburg now tally with what they experienced. So there were only two deaths in the Hindenburg, Kate Drummond and uh, another man who would have been Flynn's man, I think. Um, so time has changed and th that is an important kind of story element uh, in the show and as viewers we think okay we've, we've got the hang of that um, but there's more to come but before we get to that Lucy asks um, Agent Denise Christopher uh, the questions that Flynn told her to ask 
which is why was she chosen for this mission and what is Rittenhouse. Christopher says that she has no idea what the answer to these questions are or why Flynn would suggest that she ask those questions. So the Rittenhouse thing is setting up kind of a major element of the show's mythology that will become much more important in future episodes. And the fact that Flynn is in possession of a notebook that Lucy appears to have written is also very key. So there are questions arising in terms of who is on which side and why and are they going to change their minds in the future and if so what events would cause that to happen they don't make a big deal of it in this episode but they're definitely sowing the seeds what Lucy does put forward as her theory on what Flynn is after is that he's intending to effectively destroy the United States by interfering with its history in such a major way that the results would be catastrophic for American history. Whether that's true or not remains to be seen, but it certainly fits with what we've seen of him so far. Agent Christopher tells them that they need to be prepared to be called upon again, because although they can tell that the that Flynn's mothership has currently returned to present day. He may take it into the past again, and they will need to chase after him again. Out of earshot of the others, Mason and Rufus have a conversation. Um, Rufus hands over a, an audio recording that he made during the mission, recording the events tells Mason that he's not comfortable with having had to do this for him but Mason says well none of them are comfortable but that's what he needed Rufus to do. So that's another element of intrigue established just what are Mason's objectives and what hold does he have over Rufus? <laughs> Wyatt is on his way out of the building um, Lucy chases after him and says she knows that he is wishing that he could go back in time just those few years necessary to save his wife but they both know that that's not possible that they can't travel within their own lifetime Rufus has told them that when that was tried before all of this happened the pilot of that mission did not come back in one piece so it's definitely not something that they can attempt so Wyatt is distraught with the knowledge that there's nothing that he can do and we get another glimpse of him in this episode in a bar on his own staring at a photo of his wife who doesn't look exactly like um, Kate Drummond so it's not like um, they were twins or anything it's just that Kate had a slight resemblance to his wife Lucy arrives home she calls out to her sister Amy 
There's no answer. She moves through the house and discovers her mother in perfect health. The mother that we saw was gravely ill at the beginning of the episode. Lucy is overjoyed and embraces her mother, but she can't understand how the events that she was involved in with the Hindenburg could have changed history to cause this. She becomes confused further when her mother asks Lucy, where is your engagement ring? There's no engagement ring on Lucy's finger because she has no memory of any fiancé or any engagement. And her confusion turns to horror when it becomes apparent that her mother knows nothing about having another daughter and Lucy's sister has been completely erased from history and no longer exists. So Lucy is completely devastated by this. Then her phone rings and it's Agent Christopher telling her that Flynn has taken the mothership back in time again. A car's being sent to her and Lucy needs to return to Mason Industries immediately. You see Lucy's expression change as she, um, in that moment, is searching for a way that she can restore her sister back to life. And that will be picked up again in the next episode and, and in future episodes. <laughs> So that just about completes my thoughts on the pilot episode of Timeless. I think it's an incredibly good script that achieves so many things in terms of establishing the characters, giving you a great self-contained story, but also setting up things for the future. I think Neil Marshall did a great job directing it and establishing the look of the show for the future. And I think they really struck gold with the casting of the three leads, uh, with Abigail Spencer, Matt Lanter and Malcolm Barrett, who seem to have a real rapport with each other and seem to be having a lot of fun with the roles that they're playing. In contrast, I think Goran Viznich has much less to work with in the role of Garcia Flynn we get some clues as to what he might be trying to do but we don't feel a lot for him at this point and that's something that we'll certainly talk more about in future podcasts it's interesting that um, the initial order of 13 episodes for the first series was increased to 16 presumably on the strength of the early episodes and I can easily see why that happened and why there was that level of confidence in the show. What's harder to understand is why it didn't at the end of the day have stronger ratings than it had for the series as a whole. But fortunately there was enough commitment there to commission a second series 
which is great news for all of those that are really enjoying the show. So, thanks so much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed it. I'll be back next time with episode two, The Assassination of Abraham Lincoln. I'm looking forward to re-watching that episode and talking about it here. You can find the podcast in all the usual places. I'm on Twitter, at Timeless Files. I'd love to hear from you there with any feedback on the podcast or any things you've heard about what's going on with the show or just any chat about the show. So thanks again. I'm Chris Butler and... I'll see you next time.